It's Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the story of a 197-year-old frozen gentleman. A tale that will take us from unprecedented weather events and the 19th century version of misinformation to Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, a 1980s medical miracle, and a brief shout-out to the OG Velocipede. Plus, Austrian Burger King says you're abnormal if you like meat. And the upcoming live-action Pac-Man movie. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. One of my favorite phenomenons in history is the year without a summer, 1816. The year prior, Mount Tambora had erupted in Indonesia, one of the largest volcanic eruptions in recorded history, killing nearly all 12,000 of its residents and causing huge clouds of dust to blanket the skies in total darkness for days. Those clouds of ash would continue circulating in the upper atmosphere for years afterwards, and the effects were felt far and wide. The following summer, in 1816, the ash blocking the sun caused temperatures to plummet from their usual averages. It was 45 degrees Fahrenheit on July 4th in Savannah, Georgia. New England saw snowstorms that same month. Dark rainfall permeated all summer long in Europe. Crops failed, spawning ripple effects in food shortages, rioting, and more. With the world having gone so topsy-turvy, it's not entirely surprising that a few lasting changes and innovations resulted from the year without a summer. The shortage in oats used to feed livestock meant there were less horses around. They died of starvation or were killed to become meat. German baron Karl Dreyus had already been tinkering around with some sort of human-powered alternative to horses for military purposes, but the shortage of oats and therefore horses that summer pushed him deeper into his brainstorming. He eventually came up with a two-wheel upright machine that relied on balance and momentum. He called it the Lofmaschine, or running machine. We now call it the bicycle. This dark and trying summer would also birth the sci-fi genre. It was the relentless storms and flooding that summer that pushed Lord Byron, Percy Shelley, and Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley indoors during their stay at a villa in Geneva. Unable to enjoy their outdoor surroundings and leaning into the spooky vibes of the weather, Byron proposed that they all come up with ghost stories to entertain one another. While Byron's personal physician, Dr. John Polidori's story The Vampire, is sometimes credited with birthing the modern vampire romance, it was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that would make the true, lasting mark, spawning a whole new genre and continuing to be read by students and fans around the world to this day. But it turns out that wasn't the only summer weather event that inspired Mary Shelley's writing. A decade later, after suffering the loss of her husband Percy, Shelley was a single mother, surviving on selling her stories as often as she could. And that summer, in 1826, Great Britain experienced unusually hot weather. Looking for a way to entertain their more lethargic readers with a chilling story, British newspapers latched onto a surreal account first reported in France's Journal du Commerce de Lyon. 
The journal reported that a Dr. Jason Hortham had recently discovered what looked like the body of an approximately 30-year-old man at the foot of a mountain while in Switzerland, buried under a huge amount of ice and snow, likely from an avalanche. Because the body seemed fresh when Dr. Hortham happened upon it, as if it had only been there for about a half hour, the doctor proceeded to make an attempt to save the poor chap's life. He plunged the man's body into cold water to thaw, and then lukewarm water, and then a warm bed. And after some time, the man came to, reporting that he was named Roger Dodsworth and had been born in 1629. He'd gone on a trip in 1660 and been buried in the avalanche. That would make him 197 years old when they found him. And apart from some reported stiffness in his joints, he did not look or feel any different than an ordinary man in his 30s. A veritable 19th century Captain America. The unbelievable story was reprinted in a few other French newspapers and then absolutely blew up in the British press. While some newspapers leaned into the sensational story satirically, one paper, the conservative-leaning John Bull, continued publishing letters supposedly written by Dodsworth, the frozen man, all summer long. And though it seems like some people did believe the story through the summer, by the fall it had played out, and John Bull concluded the story publishing one final letter from Dodsworth on November 5th. Scholar Charles E. Robinson, writing in the Keats Shelley Journal back in 1975, clarified that the real historical figure, Roger Dodsworth the Elder, of whom this Iceman Roger Dodsworth claimed to be the son, does not actually carry any record of having ever had a son called Roger. And further, quoting Robinson, the Journal du Commerce de Lyon neither revealed the source of its information nor pursued the story in its later issues, and no journalist in England attempted to discover anything about Dr. James Hotham, of whom I could find no mention in histories of the Hotham family, in matriculation registers, or in professional listings. Lyon, however, seems to have attracted its share of quacks." End quote. Lyon was not unique in that way at the time. Europe and America in the 19th century were rife with hoaxes and hucksters. There was just enough new technology to create illusions, but not enough understanding of the technology for everyone to easily spot them. And the explosion of the press around the world meant many hoaxes were being proliferated in far larger numbers than ever before. Sounds a bit familiar. But anyways, what does all this have to do with Mary Shelley? Well, she was one of the countless Brits reading along at every turn of the Dodsworth story. Quoting JSTOR Daily, She was constantly on the lookout for new material, and the Roger Dodsworth hoax must have seemed like a surprise gift delivered right into her hands. Apparently inspired by the Dodsworth letters published in John Bull and New Monthly Magazine, she dashed down an essay and sent it off to Cyrus Redding, then working editor of the New Monthly Magazine. It's not the least bit surprising that Shelley became so fascinated with the hoax's central concept. Throughout her literary career, she never grew weary of exploring the idea of cheating death, either by scientific or alchemical means. Her widely recognized masterpiece, Frankenstein, saw a mad genius construct a conscious creature out of parts of a dead body. Less well-known is her 1833 short story, The Mortal Immortal, but it features a professor's assistant who ingests an elixir that allows him to live for more than 300 years. Giving life was her niche, or more appropriately, her science." End quote. 
A fascination with death and reanimation should come as no surprise. It's not just that, as Robinson put it, she was, quote, always sympathetic to a lucis naturi, end quote, that is, a freak of nature, but also that the deaths of loved ones were a steady drumbeat of her life. Her mother, prominent feminist Mary Wollstonecraft, died from complications of childbirth just a month after Mary was born. The first three of her own four children died as infants or small children, and her husband Percy died in a shipwreck just eight years after they first met. She's said to have often frequented her mother's grave to speak with her and to have carried the remains of Percy's heart with her until her own painful and premature death from a suspected brain tumor at age 53. So the story of a man having apparently died in a tragic accident but being discovered nearly two centuries later to still be alive would no doubt have set Shelley's heart and mind racing. Unfortunately, though perhaps thematically, the essay-slash-short story she submitted for publication to New Monthly Magazine was never published in her lifetime. Why the editor, Redding, didn't publish the story when she first submitted it, when the Dodsworth frozen man story was still fresh on everyone's minds, we don't know. But 37 years later, 12 years after Shelley's death, Redding found the story again among a mass of papers in his office and finally published it. But after that initial publication, the story would once again be set aside, hidden as if under a sheet of ice for another 112 years, a few decades shy of the time Dodsworth was allegedly buried beneath ice himself, when Charles Robinson revived the tale again in the Keats Shelley Journal in 1975. Now, particularly given the utter lack of sources Robinson was able to find at each turn of the story, and just the very nature of the story, a man frozen for 200 years and being reanimated with hardly any physical or cognitive maladaptations, it does seem all but certain this was one big hoax. But the idea that someone could be completely frozen and then reanimated and live to not just tell the tale, but go forth and have a completely unremarkable life does actually have precedent. It's just, we're talking about being frozen for a matter of hours, not centuries. Science Alert recently dug into the 1980 case of Jean Hilliard, whose car stalled after midnight on New Year's Eve in the middle of a Minnesota snowstorm. Not dressed for the negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit weather, she nonetheless got out of her car to try to get help. As Science Alert reports it, at some point, she tripped and lost consciousness. Six hours later, she was found by a friend of hers named Wally Nelson. At first, Nelson thought she was dead. But then he saw some small bubbles coming out of her nose. He pulled her out of the snow, and with the help of medical responders and a lot of heating pads, Hilliard came to in just a few hours. Later that day, she was talking, walking, and completely unaffected, except for a few blistered toes. And just to emphasize how frozen she was when she was found, quoting Science Alert, her body temperature was barely 27 degrees Celsius, a full 10 degrees below that of a healthy human. She was apparently frozen. Her face was ashen, eyes solid, and her skin reportedly too hard to be punctured by a hypodermic needle. In the words of George Sather, the physician who treated her, the body was cold, completely solid, just like a piece of meat out of a deep freeze. End quote. Now, Science Alert notes that cases of extreme hypothermia being survivable have been reported. Not often, but enough for us to know it's a real phenomenon. But Hilliard's is one of the most extreme, extreme cases out there. How on earth did she survive? Here's what Science Alert says, quote, 
Unlike many materials, water takes up a greater volume as a solid than it does as a liquid. This expansion is bad news for body tissues caught in the cold, as their liquid contents risk swelling to the point of rupturing their containers. Even a few stray ice crystals blooming in the wrong place can pierce cell membranes with their needle-like shards, reducing extremities to blackened patches of dead skin and muscle, or what we commonly know as frostbite. Without anything more to go on than external observations, it's hard to say for sure how Hilliard's body withstood being frozen. Was there something unique about her body chemistry, or even the makeup of her tissues? Maybe. A far more important question is what exactly frozen means in this case. Although low, Hilliard's core body temperature was reportedly still far above freezing. There's a world of difference between a metaphorical chilled to the bone and literal solidified water in the veins, end quote. Yeah, it was reported that her body was so solid it couldn't even be pierced with a needle. But apparently, this sort of muscle rigidity is a common sign of severe hypothermia. It's closer to rigor mortis than a sign that her internal fluids had actually frozen over. Other symptoms reported, like glassy, solid-appearing eyes and a cold, white body surface, were likely due to the body shutting off certain functions in order to keep the most important bits still going. And, of course, like Dodsworth, there's much we can still question about the reported accounts of Hilliard's Night in the Snow. But the more we learn about our supremely weird bodies, the more science does back up at least most of Hilliard's case. Dodsworth, however, short of some breakthroughs in cryogenic preservation, which many people are working on, I don't think we'll be getting any scientific evidence of a man surviving 197 years on ice just on accident. The more fascinating parts of the story to me are the nature of hoaxes and misinformation and how much naturally occurring phenomena like unique weather events can both unite and divide people across nations and lead to arts and innovation that we will continue to use for generations to come. Burger King has been expanding its plant-based menu offerings ever since first introducing their Impossible Burger in 2019. You can now get several versions of their Whoppers and other burgers using the plant-based Impossible patties. But over in Austria, Burger King is going a bit further. An experiment in one restaurant in Vienna has made Impossible Patties the default. Unless a customer specifies that they want a meat patty, they'll be given an Impossible one. A video ad debuting the campaign showed a worker asking customers, normal or with meat? Emphasizing that meat is the weird option, not the Impossible Patty. Jan-Christoph Kutzter, marketing director of the TQSR Group, the Austrian master franchisee of Burger King, said in a statement, quote, With this question, we want to stimulate the social debate and show that our plant-based alternatives have a confusing taste. Meats is one option, but it's not the only one. We leave it open to our guests what's normal for them. Everyone should have the same taste. End quote. And while some customers were a bit perplexed or even slightly angry in the video, the stunt isn't likely to ruffle too many feathers in Vienna. Over in Belgium, it was recently reported that one in three burgers sold by Burger King is meat-free, and in some locations, it's one in two. That is certainly a departure from here in the States, where Cracker Barrel's recent decision to add impossible sausage to the menu, not to take away meat sausage, just to add the option for 
anyone who wants it, was met with a swift and, frankly, embarrassing backlash. Commenters on the Facebook announcement acted like they were being force-fed the plant-based sausage, or that the restaurant had announced it was going entirely vegan. One comment read, quote, The Cracker Barrel has gone woke. It really is the end times, end quote. And another one, quote, All the more reason to stop eating at Cracker Barrel. This is not what Cracker Barrel was to be all about, end quote. Again, absolutely nothing was removed from the menu. They just added the Impossible Sausage as an option. I can only imagine the outrage and probably physical violence that would occur if Burger Kings in America decided to address customers with normal or with meat. Maybe that would be the actual beginning of the next civil war in the U.S., not anything happening with a certain former president. I mean, either way, there will be ketchup dripping from the walls. Well, one more American fast food chain in Europe story for you before I go. The last short-lived Domino's franchise in Italy has officially closed its doors. Now, given Italy's rich history of delicious and predominantly thin-crust pizza, I am frankly stunned that they ever allowed Domino's within their borders, but apparently the first Domino's opened in 2015 in Milan, and it tried to do things right, sourcing local ingredients and giving the menu items a more genuinely Italian spin. 29 stores eventually opened, but that was a meager showing of the 880 that were originally planned. The official reason for abandoning the Italian job is a pandemic-heightened downturn in spending and increased level of competition from the food delivery market, both of which are probably true to an extent, but also, come on, Domino's, it was just never gonna happen there. In other news, a live-action Pac-Man movie is apparently in development. It comes from Bandai Namco Entertainment, the video game publisher who owns Pac-Man, as well as production company Wayfarer Studios, and will be based on an original idea from Chuck Williams, who produced Sonic the Hedgehog. Apart from trying to imagine how the heck you make a live-action Pac-Man, I am particularly intrigued by this announcement given my recent discovery of Mattel's film arm and their planned cinematic universe for the next decade and a half, which includes films about toys like Uno, Viewmaster, Magic 8-Ball, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, and of course, its debut film, Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Every toy will have its day. But that's going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.